from the unreal to the real, lead us from darkness unto light, lead us from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace. A very good morning to all of you. And another beautiful day in Manhattan. Today, we're going to discuss this subject do we have free will? It's an old, old question. One reason I selected this subject is, this is a question which has been asked here on numerous occasions. Different people have asked on different occasions, uh, do we have free will? Or sometimes it's put in another way. If everything happens by God's will, then um, you know, sort of, I can do whatever I want then. Uh, why should I be punished for doing something bad? Because God made me do something bad. So this is how it is put. But basically this is the question about free will. So is there free will? It seems like a question for philosophers, which it is. But in the, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna you find a number of occasions. And today we will discuss it. On a number of occasions, is there free will? This question is raised and Sri Ramakrishna says something. There's a debate between Girish Ghosh and Dr. Mahendranath Sarkar about the existence of free will. And then Sri Ramakrishna um, participates in that debate. So it's an interesting thing and it's an ongoing thing even till today. <coughs> Articles are being written about it, books are being published about it, scientists have become interested, neuroscience has become interested in this question of free will. So it's a, um, it's, it's a very much a live issue. Is there free will? I'm just reminded of uh, reading this joke in a, somewhere. Uh, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to persuade little children to do what when they're made up their mind not to do something. You know, every mother knows that. So some mother, very harassed by her little son who was being obstinate, uh, she said, "I don't know if there is free will, but I know that there is a free won't." <laughs> a little kid. For today's uh, discussion, I'm going to draw heavily upon two recent articles. One by the well-known philosopher, Professor Arindam Chakravarti, who wrote an article, gave a talk and wrote an article on why pray to a God who can hear the anklets on an ant's feet. This is, he is referring to, a, to something in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Sri Ramakrishna said, somebody asked him, does God listen to our prayers? And Sri Ramakrishna said, yes, God can hear the anklets on the feet of an, uh, 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 on, of an ant. That means God, can, God knows everything, basically. Now, Arindam Chakravarti asks this interesting question, if God knows everything, God knows what I want and what I need, so why, should I have to, why do I have to pray to such a God? But he starts with that, but basically the whole article is about free will. Is there free will? What are the arguments in, against the existence of free will? What are the arguments in favor of existence of free will? Um, 
Can you combine the two that there is free will and there is no free will? Can there be a position which combines both? And finally, what do you do actually? What is the practical outcome of all these discussions? So that's one article, very beautiful article I'm going to draw upon. Another one is a very recent article which has not been published yet. So I got special permission to use it. It's written by Ayan Maharaj, who is uh, one of our most brilliant young monks. He is working in our Vivekananda University in Belur. So he has written an article on um, what is called hard theological um, hard determinism and the illusion of free will. Hard theological determinism and the illusion of free will. So I'll use portions of that article also. Now, um, we'll quickly look at the arguments against the existence of free will, arguments for the existence of free will, and a third position which <laughs> seeks to combine both, that there is free will and there is no free will, and both can be combined. It's an interesting position. Before we go into this, one interesting point, this whole question of free will, the way it is put today has um, its roots in Christian theology. Actually, when you consider Indian philosophy, there are related questions, but the question is not quite put in this way. There are questions of freedom. There are questions of agentship. Who is a doer? Katritva. There's a question of freedom. Are we free or not free? But free will, swadhin icha, in Bengali or Hindi, that uh, is a distinctly, uh, it, it emerges, its history is in Christian theology. In Christianity, the question arises that uh, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why do we suffer? If God is loving and just and all-powerful, why is there suffering in the world? The, the old question, the question of evil. Every religion has to give some answer. In uh, Indian, Indian religions, the answer is pretty simple. Because of our past karma. We suffer because of our past karma. God is not to blame for our suffering. We are to blame for our own suffering because of our past karma. So the law of karma is invoked in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, in all Indian religions. But that works only if you accept many lives. That's why automatically the law of karma is linked with uh, many lives, past lives and future lives. So birth and re rebirth, the theory of uh, reincarnation. Punar Janma. But in Christianity you don't have that. So this birth is the first one and the last one. So then, then why is it that some people suffer so much? Say a baby is born in, in a society which is poor and, and starves and is prone to disease. Um, another baby is born in a society which is affluent and the baby is loved and taken care of. Where is the uh, baby's fault? There's no past karma, because there's the first birth. So is God responsible? Now God has to be protected from responsibility, because otherwise God will be blamed for being partial, uh, taking care of some and discriminating against others, but God cannot do that. God loves everybody. So there is a branch of Christian theology called theodicy. Theodicy is justifying the ways of God to man. Um, so one way they have understood this is 
God has given us the gift of free will. And because we misuse free will, we suffer. Uh, if we freely commit sins, we go against God's commandments, and therefore the result is we suffer. You might say, wait a minute. You just gave the example of a baby. The baby has not yet started using free will. So why should one baby suffer and another baby not suffer? Um, the, this idea is extended back not only because of our misuse of free will, but the theologian will tell you the first man, Adam, misused his free will against the commandments of God, ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden, and therefore committed the original sin, and as a result of which all of humanity has to suffer. So basically, some way or the other, you might not be satisfied with this, it might be stretching things too, too much, but the idea is, we have free will, we misuse free will, and therefore we suffer. If you do not misuse free will, then we will not suffer. This is the basic idea. And so the Im importance of free will started from that point in Western thought. Why I'm saying this is later on when we shall see Sri Ramakrishna discussing free will, he, he says, when the question is raised, is there free will, he says, where did you find this, some, in some English book? <laughs> you see, he's so sensitive to it, he notices an alien component in the question itself. Similar questions are there in Indian philosophy, freedom, agentship. But in this form, do we have swadhinicca, free will? In particularly in this form, it's, it was not there in ancient Indian philosophy. Anyhow, now let's look at the arguments against free will. See, to begin with, we do feel that we have free will. This is, nobody doubts this. We feel, we get a feeling. Whether I will raise my hand now or not, it's my choice. I can freely decide to raise my hand or not to raise my hand. Let me see. Okay, I've decided. Now I feel that I, have, I did it freely. Let's examine this thing. That Did I do it freely or not? There are arguments to show that no, this little action is not free. What are the arguments against it? What are the arguments against the existence of free will? Though we feel it, but these arguments will go to show that actually it is not there. We are mistaken when we think that we have free will. So what are the arguments? One, the first one is a metaphysical argument. This is the most direct and powerful argument. It is called the deterministic argument. It says that every action, every human action is an event in time. Correct? I, this was an event in time. Every event in time in this universe, every event in time is preceded by a cause. Everything has a cause. Everything that has a cause is strictly causally linked. Cause and effect are linked. If the cause is there, then the effect must come. It cannot be otherwise. So if it is causally linked, it is causally determined, it could not have been otherwise. But the very essence of freedom is, it could be this way, it could be that way, it could be some other way. I can raise my hand, I can raise the right, right hand, I can raise the left hand, I need not, I may not raise the hand. I feel that way. But this argument from causal determinism says that you only feel that, but the causes have already been set in motion. So a cause leads to an effect. 
and that if when the cause exists before you do anything the cause is already existing only thing is we do not know the cause we may not know the cause it may be something in my brain or somewhere we may not know the cause but the cause definitely does exist because every event in time is preceded by other events in time which are some some of them are causally linked to this event in time if it is a part of a chain of cause and effect then it is strictly determined and you cannot say that it could have been this way or that way no it has to be that particular way you only felt that you freely decided to raise your hand but actually that's not so there was some cause which made you raise your hand so is that clear that is the metaphysical argument from causation every act that we do is an event in time every event in time is preceded by its other events which are causes some of them we we may not know the cause of a particular thing which we do but the cause is certainly there and if the cause is there cause and effect are strictly linked if that cause is there this effect must come just as it is in the world outside so it is for our own actions hence there is really no such thing as free will even if you feel that you have free will argument 1 the second argument is an argument from religion the argument is this it's an argument from god's omniscience it's a theistic argument the argument is goes like this that freedom means next moment what i'm going to do i'm going to i will decide whether to raise my hand or not what i'm going to do right now i cannot tell you i will decide later on you also cannot tell nobody can tell that's the essence of freedom that if you can if you already know what's going to happen then it's not free so i don't know i will decide now if i know already then my decision is already taken it's not a free decision in that case nobody knows what's going to happen next what action i will take then my action is free but if god exists one of the qualities of god is omniscience sarvagya every religion which believes in god believes that god knows everything if god knows everything then god knows what decision i will take next whether i will raise my hand or not if god knows what decision i will take then truly my decision is not free you already somewhere somebody knows that i'm going to do this or that then in what sense is it free i don't know but god already knows what i'm going to decide so the essence of freedom that we cannot say what's going to happen what i'm going to do next that is not there god can say you're going to do this so from god's omniscience and it need not be god suppose there's a religion which does not believe in god say buddhism but they will say that buddha is omniscient at least some versions of buddhism say that so buddha will know uh, in that case if it is already known what decision i will take in, that decision cannot be in some ultimate sense it's not free it's already known that argument you get the, the, from god's knowledge from the omniscience of god hence there is no free will if you believe in god then there is no free will third is an argument from the law of karma law of karma is accepted by all hindus by all buddhists jains sikhs all the indian religions accept some version of the law of karma um, one swami he said in hinduism itself so many varieties are there there are hindus who do not believe in god there are hindus who believe in god there are hindus who believe in the male form of god or the female forms of god or uh, beyond male and female 
in so many different ideas we have got about God, about the soul, about liberation, about sadhana, so many enormous range of variation in Hinduism, vast range of ideas, uh, of beliefs and practices. But, that Swami said, one thing that all Hindus believe in, law of karma and reincarnation. So he said in Hindi, this is a very profound doctrine. Don't treat it lightly. God you can treat lightly. And there are some Hindus who do not believe in God. Buddhists don't believe in God. Jain, Jains also don't believe in God in that sense. So, but law of karma, everybody believes in that. So what is law of karma? Our past actions give rise to effects. Now, in a very strict sense, if you interpret the law of karma, then every event that happens in my life, whether physical or mental, is the result of my past karma. So things are happening in my life, in my body, in my actions, in my speech, in my thought, and they are caused by my past karma. All um, Hindus may not believe in such a strict interpretation of law of karma, but suppose you believe in this. In that case, my decision to raise my hand your decision to come to Vedanta Society today, you think it is freely chosen, but that decision is also a mental event. And that mental event has been caused by some past karma in, uh, in this life or past lives. In that case, it is strictly determined. That result had to come. That thought had to come. That desire had to come in my mind. And then I had to act on that desire. How is it free? How is it free? If you believe in a strict version of the law of karma, then you must admit even my thoughts, desires, decisions are also the result of past karma. I personally don't believe in such a strict version of the law of karma. I believe certain tendencies are generated by our past karmas. But anyhow, suppose you believe in this. In that case, our decisions are also influenced by uh, past karma. Mental, mental acts are also influenced by, mental events are also influenced by past karma. From the law of karma, in this strict interpretation if you take, then there is no freedom. You can see this is a variation of that first argument, causality, cause and effect. The fourth argument is a modern form of the law of karma. We don't appeal to law of karma, but it's called the argument from psychological determinism. Psychological determinism. It says something very much like the law of karma. Mental acts are also events. Like physical acts, physical, physical events have causes, so mental events also have causes. And so the causes will determine. It may be environmental causes, it may be genetic causes, it may be psychological causes, but they will determine my decisions. So my decisions which I take now are not really free. They are determined by past uh, factors. The factors may be nature or nurture. And nature is my, um, my genetics, my genetic makeup. I'm compelled. I don't think I'm compelled, but I'm compelled by my genes or by my upbringing or by my society or by environmental factors. I am compelled to act in a particular way, though I think it is my free choice, but it is not. So that is an argument from psychological determinism. Again, you can see it is just a variation of like the law of karma. 
four arguments I've gone through. The last one, which I've kept for the last on purpose, is a strange argument. But it's very interesting. It's a very different kind of argument. It's an argument from logic and language. It's called a logico-semantic argument. What goes, it goes like this. Any statement, a proposition, is true or false. And if it is true, you cannot make it false. If it is false, you cannot make it true. For example, if I say um, George Washington is the first, was the first president of the United States, it's true. There's no way you can make it false. It's done. It's a fixed fact in the past. You can't change it. It's true and it cannot be made false. N um, if I say now, present, in the present, I'll say something about something that is refers to the present. Central Park is in New Jersey. Suppose I say that. Central Park, right here. Suppose I say Central Park is in New Jersey. You'll say it's false. It's a false statement. No way you can make it true. It's not true. Right now the fact is that Central Park is right here in the middle of Manhattan. It's not in New Jersey. So if I say it's in New Jersey, it's a false statement. And it cannot be made true. So, you know, suppose we shift Central Park to New Jersey. Well, that's in the future if you do that. But right now it cannot be made true. Right now the fact is it is in, in Manhattan. So a statement about the present is if it is false, it cannot be made true. If it is true, it cannot be made false. Now the interesting thing is a statement about the future. Suppose, suppose Elon Musk says that we are going to Mars. I think he has, he has sent his convertible Tesla car on this, to space. <laughs> That may be going to Mars, but he's predicting that we are going to go to Mars. Okay, now let me make a statement. Human beings will be in Mars in 2050. Plenty of time, 2050. Now, here is the crucial thing to get. That statement is already true or false. We don't know yet. In 2050, people will be able to say, true, people, human beings are on Mars, it's true. Or people will be able to say, it's false, human beings are not in Mars. But the fact, something will happen. Either we will be in Mars or we will not be in Mars. One of the two. And so that thing in 2050, one will be able to say. But right now we cannot say, it has not happened yet. But the statement is already true or false. This is the crucial argument. Human beings will be in Mars, future tense in 2050. Right now the statement is true or false. We can't say which one. It's true or false. If it is already true or false, then there's no freedom in it. <laughs> this is, I told you it's a strange argument. It's an argument from the fact of language and logic. Uh, so it's called a logico-semantic argument. All statements like this are already either true or false. So a statement like you can make a statement. Swami is going to raise his hand now. It will be true or it will be false. Later we will see. But the moment you said it, it's already true or false. Here. So if you said that he's going to raise his hands, that statement was true and we, now we know it's true. How is this? How, where is the freedom in this? If the truth or falsity of each statement is already there, just unknown, then from a linguistic point of view, from a truth value point of view, there is no freedom. I don't know if I, 
convinced you either way, this way or that way, whether there's freedom or not. But these are the major arguments against religious and philosophical arguments against um, freedom. Not only that, the argument from the um, psychological determinism that our thoughts are caused by events already. We are not causing, uh, really taking a decision. Decisions are already taken because of past events, mental or uh, physical events. Benjamin Libet in the 1980s, the British neuroscientist, he did this very experiment and the results were very alarming. What was the experiment? He asked a subject, you can raise your hand or you decide not to raise your hand and he hooked up the subject to a simple EEG machine. And to his amazement he found and he told the subject, you, you decide, raise the hand or not raise the hand. And also, when you decide, at that moment you also record that I have decided. I'm going to raise the hand. Next, raise the hand. So it will be a split second difference. I decide I'm going to raise the hand. Now I raise the hand. Split second. But record the fact that you have decided to raise the hand. And the EEG machine, you know what it recorded? It recorded brain activity starting well before the person said that I have decided. When the person is feeling I have decided now to raise the hand or not to raise the hand, well before that, Libet could see the spikes coming from the, from the EEG machine recording activity in the brain. Now, this, that was a simple experimental setup. Now it has been repeated with much more sophisticated machines, MRI machines. I saw a documentary, BBC docu documentary, quite alarming. Same thing, the person is lying in an MRI machine and is given two buttons, the red button, blue button, something like that. You decide which one to press and the moment you decide, you let us know. Just click a button. Not when you press. First you let us know when you have decided. Before he, de he presses, Already the readouts on the computer screens show that there are activity in certain parts of the brain and the, the medical technicians, the researchers who were scanning the brain, in, in time they were able to predict now he's going to press the right button. Now he's going to press the left button. He's going to decide to press the right button. Imagine, he's going to decide this. They're predicting by seeing his brain activity, which means Brain activity started, the decision was taken in some sense by the brain before the conscious individual felt that I am deciding. That means the decision taken by me, I'm going to raise the hand, it's just a byproduct, an epiphenomenon of brain which has in an unconscious fashion at the level of neuronal activity already taken the decision. Which means our brains are doing the activity at taking decisions and the activity is also executed by the brains. We are like this guy sitting on top here thinking, I decide now. Already decided. And brain is giving us the decision. Here, say this, that I have decided this. It's like this man who was riding on a horse, galloping through the village. Very serious looking and fast, galloping fast through the village. And somebody asked him, sir, where are you going? And the man looked back, I don't know, ask the horse. <laughs> Our condition is like that, Benjamin Libet said that. We think we are in charge of the horse here. 
No, we, we are not. The horse is going in a particular way. Modern neuroscience is saying that there is no free will. There is an illusion of free will. You feel that you are free will, but the body has already decided. Brain, nervous system has already taken the decision. You are not taking decisions. Of course, questions have been raised about this experiment, but it's a, quite a shocking experiment. If you see the BBC, if you see it on YouTube, if you see the documentary actually, it's quite alarming. The, the presenter, the one who is narrating this thing, you know, after the experiment, he goes and sits outside the um, the brain science center on the stairs and he puts his hand, <laughs> head in his hand and saying, look, then it's profoundly disturbing. I'm not char in charge of anything in my life then. Amazingly, in the Bhagavad Gita, there is one thing that Krishna says again and again, three times. He says exactly this, all decisions are taken by nature. The conscious individual, Jiva, is fooled into thinking that I am the doer. In chapter 3, verse 27, in chapter 13, verse 29, in chapter 14, verse 19, same message, Prakriteva karmani kriyamanani sarvasha, Prakriti alone does all work, Prakriti means nature. How does it do all work? Through the body, brain, nervous system, our whole biological instrument through the prana, prakriti does all work. Ahankara vimodatma, deluded by the action of the ego, the jiva thinks, kartahamiti manyate, thinks that I am the doer. The ignorant person attached with the ego, the ego is attached with the, with the body and mind and it gets the delusion that I am doing. Then who is the intelligent person? Prakriteva karmani kriyamanani sarvasha yapashyati tathatmanam akartaram sapashyati Who realizes this and sees oneself as the witness of the actions of the body and the mind, that person really sees that the, the, the conscious self is akarta, non-doer. In the 14th chapter it says nanya gunebhya kartaram yada prashyati yada drashtanu pashyati when the witness, when you see through the eye of discrimination, through viveka, that I am not the doer, the, the gunas of prakriti transformed into the organs, into the brain and nervous system, they alone are the doer. Then, then alone you realize that you are the witness self, you are the non-act, you are the non-agent consciousness. So madbhava madhigachati, that, that person becomes fit for saying, Aham Brahmasmi, I am one with the universal consciousness, with the one consciousness at the, uh, at the back of this entire game of Maya. The same thing which Benjamin Libet today says in the late 20th century, and today all the latest experiments are just reconfirming what Libet found. Uh, you find in the Bhagavad Gita thousands of years ago, repeated three times. Many of you look disturbed. Well, if you believe in free will and you would like to have arguments in favor of free will, let's have some arguments in favor of free will, just the opposite. Let's have some arguments in for free will. One argument uh, for free will, the arguments in favor of free will, this idea that we have actually have free will, this is called libertarianism. 
the opposite view is called determinism. So libertarianism is we have free will. First argument, it comes from introspection, self-observation. You see, our own introspection, when you look inside, the argument is very simple. Your direct observation of the mind, whether it is pain or pleasure, it is the most reliable way of reporting. If I feel pain, if I feel pleasure, that's, then I'm right, because whatever is happening outside, my feeling is the correct report of what I am experiencing. So if I feel free will, then there must be free will. It seems like a simple uh, argument, but it's actually pretty, pretty powerful. We experience freedom in creativity. I may think this way, I may think that way, I may think in another way. When a poet writes a poem, when, a, when an author writes a book, you know, you're writing a story, you feel a freedom. You, don't may, you may, not have, may not feel that freedom in actually physical body. A lot of activities in the body are done unconsciously by the nervous system, by the body itself. A digestion of food, assimilation of the food, um, you know, the heart, uh, pumping of blood, all of that is unconscious. But when you are doing a conscious act of creativity, say you write a story, don't you feel that you have the freedom of deciding how the story will go? You feel a creative freedom, the creative freedom felt by artists. That is, according to this argument, is a sure proof that we have free will. If you feel pain, and then you say that, I have pain and I feel pain, and that's a trustworthy, trustworthy report of actual pain. Then if you say, I feel free will, why is it not a trustworthy report of actual free will? Our mental states, we are the best person to report what is there in the mind. You might see that it's, no, it's not quite uh, a watertight argument. You know, something like phantom pain, for example. You have heard of that? Phantom limb? Somebody has an uh, amputated limb. So this hand is not there. And this person says, I have tremendous pain in my left hand. It's been cut off. It's been amputated. When it comes and he actually feels that pain. But the limb is not there. So it's a um, pain in a phantom limb. V.R. Ramachandran has done a lot of work on this. A very interesting work, book is there about it. A variation of this argument is the, um, the introspection, the argument from contrast. It goes like this, subtle but very powerful argument. We all understand the difference between being compelled, being forced, and doing something freely. If you compel me to raise my hand, you hold my hand and raise it. I know the difference between that and raising myself. Because we know this contrast, then there must be something called free will. If everything was compelled, there's no such thing as free will, how do we know the contrast between being compelled and being free? You see the argument? We all feel when somebody pressurizes you, somebody forces you, somebody compels you, and when you are left to yourself, you feel the difference. Then, that, then there must be some difference in uh, being, uh, taking a free decision and being forced. So this contrast proves that we have free will. Again, you can argue against this also. <laughs> anyway. Then the third one is very interesting. It's an argument, no, oh, the second argument, this is the first argument, introspection, look inside. The second argument is, powerful argument, 
argument from ethical appraisal when we praise look at the um, see Mahatma Gandhi was non-violent Adolf Hitler was violent Adolf Hitler we condemn Mahatma Gandhi we praise now suppose you say no it's all because of its predetermined. Adolf Hitler could not help being violent. Mahatma Gandhi could not help being uh, non-violent. Then there's nothing to praise. If it automatically comes, it is a result of uh, determination. Then why are you praising ethical actions and condemning unethical actions? So this ethical appraisal, which is a common thing throughout human society, even little children, will condemn bad behavior in other children and will uh, be happy with good behavior in, in their friends. That means they are appraising ethically. So this moral appraisal, ethical appraisal, if it is not a decision taken freely, what is there to praise? What is there to condemn? In the legal system, the whole thing in law that punishment should be given to wrongdoer, it depends on the existence of free will. Unless somebody takes a free decision to do something wrong, you cannot punish such a person. If it is compelled, that's why one of the arguments you see in court is, I didn't do it, there's a cartoon to the judge, the person standing there and telling the judge, I didn't do it, my genes made me do it. <laughs> it's a, it sounds ridiculous, but variations of this argument have been used by lawyers, a plea from insanity. So if there's a plea from insanity, the sentence can be reduced or the person may not be given a sentence, may be sent to a, a treatment facility. A plea from insanity. Uh, so a plea that because I was maltreated when I was a child by my caregivers, so I have got all these bad tendencies. So now I'm blaming so that, that something happened in my past which is forcing me. It's not out of my free will that I'm doing it. Now I cannot be punished for it. So that means there is a, com there is a component of free will. Otherwise, law, morality, um, all the entire legal system, even other, other than the legal system, the moral justification, you praise somebody, he has done good actions. This person sacrificed himself for others. This person exploited and cheated others. Condemn this person. Praise that person. If you condemn somebody and praise somebody, you are affirming that there is free will. This person freely did good things. This person freely did bad things. Hence, it should be condemned. That person should be praised. So this is a simple argument, but powerful argument from free will, from ethical appraisal. The third argument in favor of free will, and that's the last one, is uh, again a very interesting argument, very simple. It says that those who argue against free will, are they not saying, here are the arguments, listen to the arguments and then you must accept that there is no free will. No, must accept. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five arguments. Listen to them, then you should be convinced. Uh, that there is no free will, must be convinced, should be convinced, must be, should be, depends on my free will. Uh, right? Without free will, if I, have, if I have free will, I can say, I am convinced by your argument. I am not convinced by your argument. 
I am confused by your argument. I can freely say this in response to your arguments. That's why you have to plead. When a lawyer pleads to the judge and the jury, here I have presented my evidence, then you must decide in my favor, in the favor of my client. Then you must decide, you should decide. That means I am appealing to your free will. So even the arguments which you, which you are providing against free will, I want you to be convinced by those arguments. That means I accept implicitly that you have the freedom to be convinced or not to be convinced. So this is one kind of argument for that. He calls it argument from pragmatic self-refutation. The, the arguments of those who are against free will, they automatically refute themselves because you are giving arguments to prove it. The third, the another position is, no, free will and determinism can be combined. It's not that they are contradictory. You say, how? Free will and no free will, they're not contradictory. How? Two examples are given. One is a person um, who gets the same example of raising the hand. Suppose a person gets um, Alzheimer's or the person gets um, no, Parkinson's or the person gets a stroke and the right side is paralyzed. Okay? <coughs> and now the person is willing, I want to raise my hand but unable to raise the hand. In contrast to this, I can raise the hand. How am I raising the hand? The brains are sending signals through the nerves and the nerves are contracting and relaxing the muscles and the hand is raised. This whole chain of events is deterministic, is perfectly mechanical. One thing leading to another, right? So deterministic chain of events enables me to raise my hand freely. If this determinism fails, then the person wills that I will raise my hand, unable to raise his hand. In the case of a person who has got a stroke or paralyzed. So without determinism, one cannot exercise one's free will. And to exercise one's free will, one needs a deterministic causal chain of events. Who is more free? I can raise my hand or the patient who is lying in the bed, unable to raise the hand. Who is more free? Who do you think is more free? The person who can raise the hand is more free, but the person is using a completely deterministic chain of events to exercise his or her freedom. So, determinism and freedom of the will are not contradictory. To exercise your freedom of the will, you need these causal chains, these deterministic sequences. Another example is a mathematician. A mathematician you know, generates theorems. There's a monk, a friend of mine, who is a famous mathematician, and he defined a mathematician as a mathematician is a machine who converts coffee into theorems. <laughs> Drinks a lot of <laughs> coffee and <laughs> generates theorems. <laughs> so, this another funny joke, but might be slightly offensive. <laughs> There's this. <laughs> This is meeting going on in the university and all the different departments are you know, asking for grants from the vice chancellor or the president of the university. And somebody, you know, this physics department asked for a grant and then this, the um, mathematics department said, look, sir, if you give them grants, their machines are so expensive. So much money goes into those 
those experimental that, that applied physics you know experimental machines very expensive uh, you give grants to our department because there's hardly any wastage we just need a coffee and a pen and paper and drink coffee and write uh, this um, you know mathematical theorems if they are right we keep them if they are wrong we just crumple crumble them crumple that, that paper up and throw it in the waste paper basket all we need is coffee machine pen and paper and one waste paper basket then the literature department said we don't even need the waste paper basket whatever we write is gold <laughs> so our our department is the best one no wastage <coughs> a mathematician is able to devise, is able to uh, generate theorems, come to conclusions because he plays, he or she plays the game of mathematics according to the rules of mathematics. So everything is bound by the axioms, by the rules of mathematics, then only one can do mathematics. Now is that lack of free will or is that freedom? That is freedom. If you play by the rules of mathematics, then only you can do genuine mathematics. So those axioms of mathematics, the basic foundations of mathematics, allow you to do mathematics. So causality or certain rules, certain bounds, enabled you to exercise freedom. If there was no rule of mathematics, there would be no mathematics also. So total chaos is not freedom. Chaos can in fact impede or obstruct your freedom. So compatibilism says that free will and no free will are, they can be combined. This is the thir third position. What did Sri Ramakrishna say about it? Now we come to the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Very interesting. Sri Ramakrishna says, somebody asks him about free will. It is God alone who does everything. Sri Ramakrishna is very, very clear here. You may say that in, that in that case man may commit sin. He knows the immediate next question. But that is not true. If a man is firmly convinced that God alone is the doer and he himself is nothing, then he will never make a false step. It is God alone who has planted in man's mind what the Englishmen call free will. But note, very interesting, with this comment he makes, what the Englishmen call free will. Because he is aware of the context. That this, the way this thing is put, it comes from Maybe he's not aware that it comes from Christian theology, but it's not exactly in the Indian philosophical context. In the Indian philosophical context, question of freedom is there, question of um, agentship is there. But in this way, free will or no free will, that question is generally not debated. People who have not realized God would become engaged in more and more sinful actions if God had not planted in them the notion of free will. This is also another interesting comment, that we feel free will. Suppose there is no free will, but we all feel it. And Sri Ramakrishna says, God has planted this notion in us, that he makes us feel that we have got free will. Those who have realized God are aware that free will is a false appearance. In reality, I am the machine and God is the operator. Tini jontri ami jontro, in Bengali he says. I am the carriage and God is the driver. Ami rotho to me, rothi. I am the chariot, you are the charioteer. So Sri Ramakrishna accepts that God is ultimately the doer of all, uh, is the ultimate agent. Uh, 
There's an interesting discussion in the gospel between Dr. Mahindranal Sharkar, who was uh, in favor of free will, and Sri Ramakrishna. The doctor says, I do not say that the will is absolutely free. Very interesting, very intelligent position. I do not say that the will is absolutely free. Suppose a cow is tied with a rope. She is free within the length of that rope. The farmer ties the cow to a tree. Now the cow may wander around in the circumference of that circle described by the rope, by the radius of that rope, and eat grass or may sit quietly. That much freedom the cow has. She is free within the length of that rope, but when she feels the pull of the rope, so then Sri Ramakrishna says, Jadumalik also gave that illustration. Another devotee was a very rich householder who lived nearby, Dakshineshwar. Sri Ramakrishna says, yes, yes, I have heard this example of the cow tied to the tree. Jadumalik also gave that example. And then he says, is it mentioned in some English book? <laughs> Look here, if a man truly believes that God alone does everything, that he is the operator and man is the machine, then such a man is Jivan Mukta. He defines Jivan Mukta, an enlightened person, free while living, is a person who realizes God does everything. Thou does thine own work, men only call it theirs. Tomar karma tumi karoma loke bale koriyami. It's a song to the Divine Mother. Oh Mother, see when you translate into English it becomes God, but often Sri Ramakrishna would mean she, Mother. So Mother, you do thy work, but people say I am doing it. Another place, Sri Ramakrishna says, I say, Oh mother, I am the machine and you are the operator, same thing. I am inert and you make me conscious. I do as you make me do. I speak as you make me speak. Then he adds, this is the interesting thing. But the ignorant say, I am partly responsible and God is partly responsible. In Bengali, the exact words are, Katok ami korchi, katok tini korchin. Who says this? We think that's, that's a good position to take. He says, Agyaniwale. The ignorant say this. Again, he says, A man becomes a Jivan Mukta when he knows that God is the doer of all things. Where is man's free will? All are under the will of God. Another interesting portion when Girish Ghosh is debating with Dr. Mahendranath Sharkar. Girish Ghosh, he feels that everything is done by God. And Dr. Sarkar feels that, no, we have certain amount of free will. The debate is going on and Sri Ramakrishna intervenes. So this is very interesting, again from the Gospel. Girish Ghosh was uh, uh, he's debating about free will with Dr. Sarkar. In response to Sri Ramakrishna's assertion that everything is determined by God's will, Dr. Sarkar claims, but God has given us free will. I can think of God or not as I like. Taking Sri Ramakrishna's side, Girish Ghosh says to Dr. Sarkar, you think of God or you do some good deed because you like to. Really it is not you who do these things but your liking of them that makes you do so. This is that 
that psychological determinism. You see, we think, I am going to raise my hand, I think that. I have decided. But the decision came as a series of thoughts. And where did the thoughts come from? If I look, if I introspect, the thoughts have bubbled up from some unconscious depth. Did I generate those thoughts? No. So he says, your liking makes you do it. You don't do it. Sri Ramakrishna says, he intervenes in the debate. Sri Ramakrishna says, in order to do anything, one must have a belief about something and feel joy at the thought of what he believes. Only then does he set about performing the work. Suppose a jar of gold coins is hidden underground. First of all, a man must have the knowledge or belief that there is a jar of gold coins. He also feels joy at the thought of the jar of gold coins. Then he begins to dig. As he removes the earth, he hears a metallic sound that increases his joy. Next, he sees the corner of the jar that gives him more joy. Thus, his joy is ever on the increase. Now, all this comes from the desire. Where did the desire come from? Where did the knowledge or belief come from? Now, the argument could be a person who, who feels that God does everything can engage in sinful ac actions and justify it by saying that God is making me sin. Actually, in the, in the Mahabharata, you find Duryodhana. Sri Ramakrishna actually ref refers to that later on. In fact, there is a place where Sri Ramakrishna refers to. Oh, there's a, uh, that's coming, uh, so the, I'll, read, I'll go to that portion. A Brahmo devotee from the Brahmo Samaj has come and they are having a debate. So another debate about free will in the gospel itself. The Brahmo says this very thing. If it is God who makes me do everything, then I'm not responsible for my sins. There's a question which comes up. Sri Ramakrishna says, yes, Duryodhana also said that. O Krishna, I do what thou seated in my heart makest me do. The story is, you know, often some people say that, why did Krishna teach the Gita to Arjuna? If had Krishna te taught the Gita to uh, the villain, Duryodhana, it would have prevented the terrible war. Why not tell good things to the bad guys? Why tell good things to good guys? The thing is, if you look at the story, Krishna actually tried to teach Duryodhana. He goes to Duryodhana and says, look, what you are doing is evil. It's not good. Don't do it. This is good action. Do this. This is evil action. Don't do that. Dharma and Adharma. And Duryodhana's answer was stunning. He says, I know what I am doing is bad. I know what is good. I know what is bad. That's not my problem. You don't have to teach me what is right and wrong. Janami dharmam Najame pravritti I know what is good. That's not my problem. What's my problem? I know what's good. I don't feel like doing it. Janami adharmam Najame nivritti I know what is bad. What I'm doing. What all the things that I've done. The bad things. I know that it's bad. But that's not my problem. My problem is I can't... I like doing it. I can't stop myself. Then why are you doing it? If you know it's bad, then why are you doing it? If you know it's good, why don't you do it? There is some power within me. 
some force within me which forces me along this path and I can't help it. I know that's good, but I don't feel like doing it. I know that's bad, I can't stop myself. And it's, it's a, this is the heart of the human tragedy actually. We know what is good, we know what is bad, but often we cannot do what is good and often we cannot prevent ourselves from doing what is bad. And we consciously, that, that's where guilt comes from. Guilt comes from knowing something is bad and doing it, and then why did I do it? Remorse. So Sri Ramakrishna says, yes, Duryodhana also said that. Oh Krishna, I do what thou seated in my heart makest me do. God is making me do this. All the bad things. Then what is the response to that? Sri Ramakrishna says, if a man has the firm conviction, in Bengali, thik bishash, that God alone is the doer, and he is his instrument, then he cannot do anything sinful. He who has learned to dance correctly never takes a, never makes a false step. Then the crucial statement, one cannot even believe in the existence of God until one's heart becomes pure. Now very interesting, it means if somebody uses this excuse, oh so there is no free will, God is making us do everything. In that case I am doing all these bad acts, God is making, us do, making me do it, why are you blaming me? That person is being deceitful. That person really does not believe deeply in the existence of God, neither does that person feel that God is doing it. That person actually feels I am doing it, now I've got a nice excuse. So. Genuinely, if a person feels the presence of God, genuinely, if a person's, man, a person's mind and intellect or heart are on God, that person will not do anything bad. Sri Ramakrishna gives the example of Ramericha. It's all Rama's wish. You know the story of the weaver who was weaving and one late night robbers came. They were running away after robbing a house and the police chased those robbers and the robbers kept all the stolen goods in front of the weaver and they ran away. And the police came and saw all the stolen goods in front of the weaver, they caught hold of the weaver and dragged him off to jail. Next morning he was produced before the judge and the people of the village said, oh he is a pious person, he couldn't have stolen. Meanwhile the robbers were discaught or something like that and the judge let that man go and the weaver came and started weaving again and then they asked him about it, what happened? He says, by Rama's wish, I was weaving. And by Rama's wish, there was a robbery. And by the wish of Rama, the robbers came this way. And by the wish of Rama, the police chased them. And by the wish of Rama, they dumped those goods in front of me. And by the wish of Rama, the police thought that I was the th thief. And by the wish of Rama, they dragged me to jail. Where by the wish of Rama, I spent the <laughs> night. Next moment and morning, by the wish of Rama, the judge, out of his kindness, um, freed me and by the wish of Rama I'm back here again. Now a genuinely devoted person would hold on to that no matter what is happening, good or bad. So that is what Sri Ramakrishna says, who has deep devotion to God will, will do that. Swami Vivekananda himself, <clears throat> he was asked about free will and his answer was very interesting. He said, it's a contradiction in terms. <coughs> free will is a contradiction in terms. There is freedom and there is will. The will is a chain of mental events. See, the same argument. It is within causation. He put it very powerfully. 
from freedom we come and in bondage it becomes will and from bondage we go to freedom again so it's not free will it's freedom it's not um, free will now it is will within causation that's what he calls bondage and when we get enlightenment freedom then we we attain our status as the ever free atman but then there is no question of will at that time in the ultimate reality in brahman satchidananda there is no question of will why would uh, the absolute what would the absolute will about how would the absolute will anything willing is in the mind in our own deep sleep when the mind is resolved where is will where is will when you are in deep sleep you exercise will you feel the existence of will in waking state maybe sometimes in the dream but not in deep sleep so beyond the mind is no question of will will is within the mind and being within the mind it is a chain of cause and effect that was vivekananda's position anyhow summing up summing up what is the practical outcome of all of this discussion it's all very interesting i guess we have not decided either way this way or that way but what is the practical outcome a very beautiful conclusion is drawn by the philosopher arindam chakravarti at the end of his article he says there are these three stages when you ask do we have freedom of will the first answer is when we look at our lives yes second answer is when we look through philosophy religion science neuroscience answer is no no free will and when we look beyond that to the enlightened person the jivan mukta yes freedom no free will but freedom so then we have stage 1 straight away when it looks like on on prima facie there is free will upon investigation scientific investigation philosophical investigation neuroscientific um, religious uh, uh, teachings no free will and then when we come to freedom itself enlightenment we have freedom at the level of brahman freedom at the level of god also does god have free will or not yes absolute complete freedom so what do we do conclusion is this he says right now practically we have the feeling of free will there's no doubt about that quite apart from all these discussions our society is built on the idea that we have free will and we feel that we have free will and yet we know after all this that ultimately there is no free will it's all god's will so let's combine the two and right now use this appearance of free will use the fact that we feel free will so that we convert all our actions these are his words convert all our actions into prayer into surrender to god so let we will do all our actions day to day actions whatever which we are doing in our personal life family life business life and mentally surrender everything to god oh lord i feel you have planted in me this feeling of free will i am exercising it and yet i know ultimately everything is done by thy will so every action should be he uses the sanskrit word namaha namaha means salutation but he says a deeper meaning of nama is na mama not mine nama salutation na mama not mine so i continuously surrender everything every thought every word that i speak every action that i do mentally my attitude is i am offering this to the lord who alone has freedom so that i will go from 
appearance of free will to an understanding that there is no free will to the freedom beyond will. So this is the conclusion which I liked very much. I think this is very much in tune with spiritual life. That's it then. Uh, we will have a discussion about this question answers a little later. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu this is what is meant by surrendering every action. Sri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu. We do some action, speak, listen, understand, engage, and then ultimately surrender it to God.